So how can you build things that are as small as they can be so that you can plug and play and you can pivot and change? So the way that I think about manifesting that in the talent programs is thinking about more of a skills culture. So if we have the skill of adapting and coping, for example, and we know that's a critical element in a lot of areas of our organization, let's go ahead and build programs around building that skill up. Then we can quickly pivot and change as the organization's needs change. Don't conduct your analysis in isolation because data is so incredibly powerful. Not defending just the tribe, but defending the organization. Those creative people that you really want to keep empowered, keep excited, keep motivated, keep thinking. Good experience pays dividends down the line. Stereotypes tend to break down in proximity. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast about human resources, business, technology, and the workplace. My name is Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey, it's Ben. Welcome to today's episode. I just wanted to take a quick minute for an intro here and, number one, say thank you to the team at SHL for putting us in touch with Becky because the conversation you're about to hear is a good one, and we want to make sure that we have credit where it's due for the team over there for putting us together with her. Becky is going to dive into some of the things that are going on at HB Fuller, how they are putting some rigor and some structure around how they support their talent in the business because more and more I'm talking to business leaders who are saying, this talent thing is critical for us. This is an operational issue. This is driving profitability or lack thereof. This is driving customer satisfaction. This is driving operational efficiency and all those things. And so leaders are looking at this with more focus. And that's the first thing I thought of when I heard about Becky's job title, as you'll hear in just a few minutes. When she talks about being a program manager, we think about that type of focus on lots of big projects and things throughout the business. Why not put that same rigor and discipline around the practice and of talent. So with that said, I'm going to go ahead and get out of the way, dive into the conversation so you can learn along with me from Becky in the conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey everyone, welcome to We're Only Human. I'm so glad you're here with us today. I'm looking forward to a fun conversation, diving into talent management, how we can use the different tools and levers and buttons and all those things we have at our disposal there to, to help us connect with our people to create deeper relationships, to create retention opportunities, all those kind of things. Right now I'm talking to so many leaders that are saying, we've got to hire our way out of the talent challenges we're in. And the problem is you're putting people into a leaky bucket, right? You're putting water into a leaky bucket, I guess. You're creating longer term issues, longer term problems. You're not going to solve this. So if we can help to seal up the holes in that bucket, maybe with some smarter practices and approaches, some bigger picture thinking around this, then maybe that can lead better outcomes. And today to discuss that with me, I have Becky, we're going to get into all this stuff. Have some fun here, Becky. I'm so glad you're here with me. Welcome to the conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to this for, for quite a while. So before we get into some of the fun stuff, I was teasing for the audience there. Would you take a minute and tell us a little more about who you are and what you do, please? So my name is Becky Leana. I am the Global Talent Program Manager at um, HB Fuller Global Organization. I've been in the human resource space for, I don't even want to count now, 15 plus years. So I've seen a lot of things and I'm excited to share some things that I learned today. Awesome. When you've hit the something plus, that's when you know you've arrived, I think. That's what I- Exactly. Early on. <laughs> what, if you don't mind a quick detour, what does HB Fuller do? 
So HP Muller is a global manufacturer of adhesives. So in short, we make the things that connect the world. So you'd be really surprised about the amount of things that our products are in. So think about anything that needs adhesives or glue from your cell phone to diapers, to the bottles that you drink, to the cartons that you get and all those fun Amazon packages that we receive. HP Fuller glue is in those products. Wow. That's really neat. That's it fun is. for you. If you're like, Hey, I had a hand in hiring people that made that, right? So exactly. All the time I'm like, our glue's in that, our glue's in that. <laughs> so let's figure out a way to make today the episode title something about making employment sticky. If that's not too. Hey, cringy, there you I'd, go. I'd love to do that. Unintended. <laughs> okay. So as you talked about, one of the things that you, you do in your role, you are a, it's, you're a global talent program manager. And when we were talking before, you said, this is this long title, this defined what you do, but I'd love for you to help the audience here get their head around that. What is the purpose of someone doing that job? Why did, you know, what milestone did HB Fuller hit that they said, okay, we'd need Becky to be doing this role now. Talk about that kind of evolution a little bit, because I'm curious how that came about and what the focus is. I think the purpose of my role really is to think about the talent that we have within our organization and how we can best connect the resources that we offer as a, as an enterprise to the things that matter to our employees. Because at the end of the day, when people are, um, when people come to work, they bring their whole selves and we're all looking to grow and develop and be successful in our position. And it's my role to make sure that the enterprise has the tools and the levers that are necessary to make sure that people are fruitful in their positions. As far as how the role came about, I think it's really important to, when you think about having 6,000 employees, it would be a miss if we didn't take the time to give attention to what we're doing and the things that we're offering to that amount of people. So one of the things you talked about there was seeing people and their whole selves, helping them bring their whole self to work. And when we think about this from an employer perspective, we're very comfortable with their work self, right? Their skills, their abilities, their talents. There's the other side of that there, the more personal side where they say, hey, this is my interests, or this is the career path that I'm interested in. You tell me more about that, or this is where I think my strengths lie. How do we factor those kind of things into this bigger picture? Is it through mentoring? Is it through durability? Is there something else there? I'd just love to hear your take on that. And I think it's important to, to consider people's whole selves because at the end of the day, as an organization, we're always doing these planning and these strategy meetings and trying to achieve these goals. But the reality is we're not going to accomplish those without our people and understanding what sp headspace our, our employees are in is really important in order to make sure that we're going to achieve those goals. So you have to build that into your strategy. And I always think of it from building in, in the, the buzzword of agility. You've got to be agile in the programs that you build because there's a lot of things that can change in the organization and there's a lot of things that can change with an employee. So I read a statistic um, recently from Gartner that said 80% of, of high potential employees think about that they're going to change their mind about moving up in the organization within five years. So if you know that 80% of the people, the critical people in your organization that are really moving the needle are changing their minds, you have to build that into your strategies, right? Because otherwise you're not going to accomplish your goals if you don't. The agility thing gets me because it's, again, this, this will be buzzword bingo maybe today for the session. But, buzzword, but, yeah. Well, so, well, but you talk about that in a very practical way though. That's what I was gonna, was gonna jump on there is, People throw around like, we need to be more agile. We should be more responsive. We've got to be this and that and the other thing. And for 
anyone hearing that, it's just this vague sense of maybe they mean this, but I'm not quite sure. So when you talk about agility from a talent perspective, we're thinking about the talent we have and being agile as an organization, it's seeing the changes. It's recognizing that there's a different need there. Something's evolving. Maybe the business is changing and we've got to figure out how to repurpose and readapt our people for that. I don't want to put too many words in your mouth. What is your sense of what agility means when it comes to the practical applications around the, the people we're serving? I think you've got to look at it from both the business side and the employee or person side. And as an organization, I think you've got to think about it from creating like macro situations. So how can you build things that are as small as they can be so that you can plug and play and you can pivot and change as the organization's needs change. So the way that I think about manifesting that in um, talent programs is thinking about more of a skills culture. So instead of thinking about critical roles and critical um, positions or critical departments, we need to start thinking about things on a skill level. So if we have the skill of adapting and coping, for example, and we know that's a critical element in a lot of areas of our organization. Let's go ahead and build programs around building that skill up. And we might think that, hey, we want to build a position. But if we build a skill, we know the organization, that role might change or a person that we think might go into that role will change. Then we can quickly pivot and change by just plugging in those criteria. And from a personal perspective, again, thinking about people, we're always changing. So instead of building these, I always hated that question in interviews. What do you want to be in five years? Like, where do you want to be in five years? And most people are like, the hell if I know. And then we sort of going to make Becky happy with me if I answer that question. <laughs> exactly. We make it up or fast forward and somebody genuinely answers that question in five years and you fast forward five years, the likelihood that they change their mind is high. So let's stop thinking about things so long-term and start making it again more short-term and asking people, hey, what do you want to do this year? What do you want to do in the next two years? Where's your head at there? And so we've tried to be very intentional about thinking about it from that perspective and asking people and, and making people feel like it's okay to say, hey, in the next year, I, I don't want to move. And that's okay. Now, long-term, we're a global organization and you have a lot more opportunity if you're able to move, but it's okay to say, hey, things are going on in my life where it's not going to happen this year. But you know what? Maybe three years from now, their whole perspective is going to change. And I think that's the part about agility that we need to think about, thinking it a little bit more in those smaller terms so that we can pivot quicker. Thank you for that, by the way, for bringing us back to an actual practical application of it, because that's yeah. things I strive for on the show here. And I... I could bring anyone on. We could talk about these very lofty and, and broad ideas, kick those around all day long, and not a single person would be helped by that. They'd probably get yeah. to it before the day was out and quit. So I really try to get to the specifics. So thank you for, for going into that for me. And one of the things that you, you talk about this, this skills culture, I do think that is a mindset change for a lot of companies because it's, okay, we got to post a rec. We need this narrowly defined skill. Let's post a job requisite for that person that should have that skill. Instead of looking at it from a, let's break this down to a deeper level and say, you know what, we actually don't need a whole person. We need Becky to work two extra hours in this other project instead of where she is. Or we've let's put out a, a project marketplace. So let's find some way to, to upskill somebody who is at a lower level in the organization to develop that skill and take on that role, you know, take on that specific task. So there's all these different things we can do. And yet for the longest, the only option company saw us Oh, we need that thing. Let's go post a rack and hire. Yeah. 
I love this idea of taking it into more granular direction. One of the things that I often hear from companies that are leaning in that, that direction, they think, okay, they've been bitten by that same bug. They're curious about that. They want to know more about it. It's okay, but how do I start? Any suggestions or ideas on how someone starts beyond, let's say they're team Becky, they say skills culture all the way. They're going to take this conversation and run back to their leaders. Say, hey, listen to this. What should they do next? I think the the first step in my mind was you can't boil the ocean. So think about one or two or however many critical roles you have in the organization. You say, look, I th these roles do 80% of the work. And unpack those roles and say, okay, what are the top skills that are needed to be successful in this role? And it's really interesting when I think you do exercises like that, because when you start a conversation like that, you end up with a list that you maybe wouldn't have thought about or a list that does not match what you would have posted for in that position. And then to take it a step further, you can say, okay, these are the top five skills that I need in this position. We can think about how we're going to get that those skills. So how do we develop those skills by building learning and training through it or building projects around it or whatever it is to learn those skills. And then you can actually, even from a recruiting standpoint, start looking at how you pick people differently. So a lot of times we're like, hey, this person, we always looking for in the recruiting world, they always call it like the purple squirrel. We're always looking for the purple squirrel. Every role is a purple squirrel, it seems. So when that happens, you need to think, okay, what's really needed? Here's the skills. And if I think about, hey, adapting a coping, same example, that can look very different. And you don't have to necessarily see a specific title on somebody's resume to say, oh, I think they'd be good at adapting and coping or building your interview questions around it. And then it, within your organization, you can build your training around these skill sets. And then you're actually adding value to employees because they can see the path. They say, okay, well, I know that this job that I want needs these five skill sets and the company has provided me the tools in order to assess myself on those skills, understand my gaps. And then I can be very intentional about developing those areas so that I'm ready for the next position. And then from a leadership standpoint, a lot of times we're very reluctant to make a hiring decision. And I always like to say, it's, it's like deciding if you want to get married by going on one date. So I can see how it's difficult. We all are like, oh my God, I have to make this huge decision. Yes. But if you can unpack it on, these are the traits that I'm looking for. And, oh, Becky only meets 80% of those. She only meets three or four of those. Here's a gap on this one or two. I still have confidence in hiring that person because my organization has built training around those skills. So I can say, let's bring Becky on board. It takes us six to eight months to develop this skill with the tools that we have. She can be ready to go in the right candidate and let's move forward. You know, that's actually how I got married. My wife said, you only have these gaps, but I'm willing to accept those. And so. That's exactly what happened to me. All right, I read my criteria. 14 years ago and counting, and here we are. So that's incredible. One of the things you said there that it really got me is Employers often, when it comes to hiring, we think about assessments and other tools to help figure out what people can do, what their skills are, what their cognitive abilities are, personality traits, all those kind of things. We're looking for ways to measure that because as you said, it's, it's, we feel like this is a forever commitment, whether it is or it isn't, we feel like it's a big commitment to make. But when it comes to, let's look inside the workforce and figure out, hey, Becky's a great performer. What else can we help her you know, find her next role or what does she want to do? We sometimes just go with, okay, their manager said they're good at A, B, and C. Let's go with that. In our yeah. research last year, that was the, the number one way employers identify the skills of their people is through a manager observation. And while it's not, yeah. at least you're paying attention to them, that there's the, the plus there. 
The negative side is we both know as practitioners that the most biased data set there is in there is what a manager sees about someone else. And yeah. They think you're really great at this kind of skill or this kind of task. Well, they may attribute you greatness in other areas or if you parked in their spot on Monday, you get a thumbs down on all of these skills and we don't think you're great at anything. And those are really examples, but it, it magnifies across the 180 something different potential biases that are, exist out there. And so I wanted to, I'm so glad you talked about that through those lenses though, because I think the skills thing can feel like this really big, scary approach. And that's why I think some companies have said, okay, that's a great idea, but probably not now for us, because it feels like they're, as you said earlier, they're trying to boil the ocean. You can't yeah. go and do all jobs, all roles, all skills at the same time. The really big companies, some of those do invest bazillions of dollars to go down that path and try to do that and build their own taxonomies and everything else. And I'm getting super nerdy here, but yeah. the truth is for an organization that wants to see short-term practical impacts of this, it's like you said, let's pick a couple of key roles. Let's pick a couple of yeah. skills that matter, not just right now, by the way, but the skills that are going to matter to the company next year that we think are important. Exactly. Are we focusing future focus, not just focus on what's happening right now? Oh, goodness. So much good stuff. Yeah. And what's interesting too is when you think about it too, it, it it goes into that other buzzword of the diversity and inclusion space. When we ask managers to say, "Hey, you know, how are how is this a person doing? Do we think they're going to be the right person for the next job?" It's human nature that we automatically judge people on our own self reflection. So what happens is group think. So we're all like, "I don't think they're the right person because they're different than me." And then that, then you put yourself up to a situation where everyone in the organization thinks the same and has the same ideas. But if you go back to a skills culture, then you're able to say, oh, yeah, but this person has all of the traits that we need. And you're like, well, I don't know, but it's, but they have everything we need. And then you plug them into the organization and you wouldn't imagine the type of advancements that you make because you start having different types of people with different backgrounds in the conversation. And of course, we all know that diversity is a really important thing for organizations, not only from a profit standpoint, but from a, you know, cultural standpoint. Culture, social, there's so many different benefits to it. And I'm glad you brought that piece up specifically because I had this kind of a friendly argument, we'll just say, with a couple of friends <laughs> who were TA leaders a couple of years ago. I said, if I asked any of your CEOs of if diversity is important, what would they say? Like, Obviously. Yeah, yes. of course. Yes. Okay. When it comes to an actual hiring decision, when was the last time they intentionally picked someone that had the right skills, even if they didn't look like them, sound like them, make them feel comfortable? Did they check all the boxes for making me feel warm and fuzzy inside? Or did they check the boxes because they could do the job? And suddenly they like, I won't avert their eyes. I won't even look at you anymore because they know that, yes, it's easy yeah. to say, it's much harder to do it because you said that's not going to always feel comfortable to do that yet. That's the value of having different perspectives in the room is it's a different perspective. So yep. it's, one of those, it's very easy yeah. to abstract sense to say, oh yeah, we believe that, we support that, we appreciate that. When it comes to the next hiring decision, that's where the rubber meets the road. Either you're in. Yeah. And that's it's human nature to select. It, we're literally built that way. Yes. Um, that's why we need to, as an organization, create the programs and the mechanisms to help us get out of our own way. And without that, we're always going to pick the people that are like us. Yes. Okay. All right. Thinking through some of the things we talked about so far, what are the, one of the words that you used when we talked the first time a couple weeks ago, we were, we were chatting a little bit, trying to figure out how far we wanted to go with this conversation, transparently for everybody else out there. 
And one of the words you used in that conversation that, that struck me because it's not one we use very often in the HR and talent world was optimization. And so would you be willing to talk a little about optimization, how you see that through the lens of the work that you get to do and the impact that you get to have? Cause I think I, I'll just leave it there. What's your thought there? Tell me about it. I think if, when you think about how organizations are successful, it's always back to the people in your organization. And we spend so much time investing in optimizing equipment or optimizing services. And we need to think about optimizing our talent because when I think about the people in our organization and when I talk to people, I always tell them you have to build your own brand because it's silly to think that everyone in the organization knows all your skill sets. If I sat here and told you my background, you'd be like, oh my gosh, I didn't know she did this, or I didn't know she was that, or I didn't know she had a passion for this. And the same would go for you or anyone else in the organization. So when you think about optimization from a people perspective, it's about connecting what people are good at and what they like to do with the things that we need to get done in an organization. That's one of the big journeys that we're on as an organization. We started doing some assessments and people are like, this is wrong. This assessment's wrong. It's garbage. It, this is not me at all. And here's all the reasons why. And it's because we're looking at it from a perspective of not what people are good at, but also what people like to do. So sure, I'm good at stuff. I'm good at taking the trash out. Do I want to go do that? No, I'm going to pass on it any chance I get. So we need to not only look at it from a lens of what people are capable of, but what they're, they like to do. Because when you put them and you optimize them in those spaces, then they're, they're even better than the, you could have ever imagined. And we're, we're not able to just know what everybody's capable of. We have to be able to start taking inventory of that and get taking inventory of what people like so that we can connect the dots better. And that's where the optimization comes in. Excellent. I, I want to say 50 different things right now. One of the, one of the things that brought up to me is number one, I don't want to take the trash out either, even though I can do it. So we'll go there. There's this nope. book many years ago and the author talked about this concept of everyone has a zone of incompetence, things you're not good at. And usually we know what those are, by the way, we know pretty yep. clearly don't ask me to do that because it, it's going to be probably funny for someone who gets a popcorn and watch, but it's not gonna be fun for me because I'm not good at it. We have a zone of competence where we're taking out the trash maybe. Then there's a zone of genius where we do this thing better than 90% of the people out there. And the more time we can get our people understand what their zone of genius is, but get them into that zone, the better it's going to be for them because they are in a playground. Basically, they can do things they love. They're great at it. The results are obvious and other people can see the impact they're having. But it also from an organizational context, having your person who's tremendous at selling and not asking them to be a sales trainer, but letting them sell, that's amazing. Having someone who is really great at building high quality talent programs and putting those things in place and helping to hook those into how the business operates. That's how you slot Becky into the next role that she's going to take. There's your kudos for the day. <laughs> this allows us though, to really get the best out of those people. You mentioned bring your best self to work. And that's the picture that I think of when it comes to that is we are putting them in place with the resources around them in an area where they feel strong and confident as well, where it's like, I want to stand back and watch this person. It's like watch, when you watch the Olympics, you see someone at the top of their craft doing something that just amazes you. Right? I'm not sweating that much in my daily work, but I'm still creating and doing things that I think are truly in my zone of genius. And I would wish that for every single HR leader listening here, 
but also for every employee that we're working with as well. I love that word zone of genius. And that's exactly what it's about. Because again, when you think about retention and the lever that we're all thinking about, if if you're sitting around the dinner table and talking about your next moves in life and people are like, Hey, this awesome job just came up. Why don't you go apply for it? Your response, if you're in that, if you're doing the job where you're in your zone of genius, if you will, you're like, I I love what I do. What are they going to have to offer me? There's no this that I have in this position that I'm in. So why go elsewhere? And that's the space that we need to be in with our employees and just start thinking more about what, what gets them excited and connecting them to what's going to help the organization. Yes. One of the other things you touched on earlier, I can't remember the exact context of it, but you mentioned, we're talking about the managers and the skills thing. Managers can't possibly know all the things that people can do. They were just not built to do that. I'm curious what your thought is how we fit managers into this, because we're talking about some of the things we have to do from a strategy perspective, what our leadership has to do from, this is the culture we want to have, or we want to focus on the skills. Like that's requires some buy-in at a leadership level. When it comes down to the actual managers themselves, what is their part in this bigger puzzle and how do we fit them into this in a way that makes them feel informed and excited about what their role is, not just a, hey, go do that. Yeah. Makes sense. It does. It does. And I think as an organization, we're still on this journey as well. We can talk about all these things, but we're on the same journey as most of your listeners probably are. But when you think about connecting in managers, the thing, the key things that we think about is visibility and thinking about giving them the tools that they can be successful. Because again, when I think about managers, we put them in positions because they're great at what they do. And then we go and ask them to do all these other ancillary activities like talent development. and they're not good at it. Let's just be honest. They're just not good at it. And that's just because that's not their craft. That's not their zone of genius, if you will. So what we need to do as organizations is create the framework for them to be able to move fast, take chances, and just be quick about things. And so I think about building in systems that create that visibility. That's a journey we're on today about use leveraging our systems to take inventory of what people are good at and what they're doing. And so we're on that journey of championing people to build their brand within the organization because we're going to do it if we go look for a job why don't we do it internally where it's much easier when people are thinking about an individual contributor i want to be a manager so let me go look for a job you're more likely to be successful at an activity like that if you're doing it within your own organization where they already know you and have some confidence built up so why go externally build your brand internally and the way you can do that is leverage systems so we use systems to try to start taking inventory of not only what people are good at, but the things that they've been doing, and then giving managers the tools to be quick about having those conversations with people. You can't remove the manager, so you want to make sure that you're helping them have those types of conversations because they're going to be the pulse checkers of what's going on with individuals specifically, and you got to build the space for that and remind them to to slow down sometimes and and take those intentional moves and give them the tools that they need to do it. Don't just say, hey, Go make sure you're talking about careers with your employees. Okay, but what does that mean? What kind of questions should I ask them? Like what's important to them and like helping them connect the dots too. That is one of our, the great failures of most companies. And all of us have to own that. Everybody listening right now, talking to you, you have to own that because overall we find someone who's really great at an individual capacity and we end up promoting them into leading others. We take them out of the jobs they loved and were good at and put them in charge of other people who are doing the things that they used to love. 
And that's a recipe for disaster. We can't assume that someone who's a great engineer will make, make a good engineering manager or someone who's yeah. a good person on, you know, building this thing, a similar line, is going to be a good person at managing other people on that, that same line. They're, they're different skill sets to take it back. Totally to the, different skill conversation earlier. We would not yeah. want those in the same place and we shouldn't assume that it's easy to, to make that leap for somebody. So I'm glad you brought that one around kind of full circle. So I think that was a really good way to, way to hit that home. I've gotten so many notes, so many good ideas out of this. I think one last question I want to ask you before we sure. wrap up, give people a way to connect with you and follow you because they're going to want to. When it comes down to the work that we do as HR leaders, one of the, one of our problems is that we look at this through the lens of let's put a program in place. Let's just put this thing in place. Let's create this new program and launch it. And okay, pressure's off. We're done. We've taken care of that. And HR can't be the only one driving that. I think that's about the other part of the problem. The other part is when we do these like very discreet and small and focused things, sometimes we, we end up not having the impact we want to. Any encouragement or advice for those listening in on how to do that better, how to align with the business better maybe, or how to really understand what their stakeholders need or how to do something that has a bigger impact because based on the conversations we're having here and some of the things that we've talked about, like you're, you are on the, you're set up to have that on impact at HP Fuller. And so I'd love to hear from you, any advice you might have to share. I think it, it, it always goes back to the selfish nature of humans and thinking about a business leader and saying, okay, business leader, what are you trying to accomplish? What are your goals for your organization or your department or your function? What are you trying to achieve? And really understanding what that means and trying to translate that into people perspective. Okay, what skills do you need to accomplish that? Um, and then when you know what skills they need to accomplish it, then you can start that cascading effect of connecting the dots with your programs. So we all have all these fabulous ideas. If you go do the research, there's a hundred million different programs that you can do and they're all great programs, but it's about connecting back to what your organization really needs and what your leaders are asking for. And so when you start connecting the programs that you do with the goals that the, the organization has, then it comes more of a pull situation. Now, like, I need that to happen because without it, I'm not going to achieve my goals. Mm -hmm. So you have to make that connection between whatever their goals are and whatever programs you're trying to run. And it's not an easy thing. It's easier said than done for sure, but that's truly the way to do it. You have to make sure your stuff is fitting in with their needs. I, I don't want to co-op this too much. You said not just fitting in, but really enabling them to hit that. Yeah organizationally. Okay. I want to exactly. I think that's a phenomenal way of putting that because you was like, Hey, no, no, listen to me. I'm following you. I'm trying to get your attention. And yeah. this is, as you said, this, if you plug in deeply enough and you find the right way to fit it, fit into the things they're offer, they're, they're doing it's, Hey, are we going to hit that? Because you have this insight on the people side, which is arguably really the most important side of any decision is the people side of it. So you have this really critical insight that the other leaders want to know, want to see, want to understand. And you got to be a partner for them in the HR space. We talk about this a lot in our organization, but, and again, it's another one of those bud words about being a partner. But if you're in the conversations that they're having about their daily activities, then, you know, it's not, sometimes it's not enough to create a program that connects to their goals and objectives. It takes time for them to visualize and see the impact of that connection. So if you're in those conversations with them about what's going on in their daily business activities, they're not always going to 
jump on board right away. They're not going to, as soon as you pull up, they're not going to jump right in. But when you start making those connections and you're in those conversations, you can say, you can start showing them how, hey, had we managed and used this program a little bit more effectively, we might not have been in this situation. Or had we used this skill set and really optimized our team for this gap that we said we had, maybe we could have had seen a different outcome. Or, hey, look at how successful we were because we had XYZ skill set on our team. And isn't it cool that we built that up two years ago before we needed it? And now here we are sailing when maybe our competitors are flaring. So those are the ways that you again got to help see the visualization of the programs tying into those and being a part of the daily activities. This is like a masterclass on how to impact as an HR and talent practitioner. So I love this so much. If someone wants to follow Becky, wants to learn more about you, or just is LinkedIn the best way to do that? Yeah, I think LinkedIn's always a great way to make connections for sure. Okay, awesome. I'll make sure and get your link into the show notes. People can reach out, connect, just, hey, everybody listen in, let her know that you heard her on the show, that you're her new biggest fan, and uh, she'll connect with you there on LinkedIn and, and you guys can go from there. Becky, all kidding aside, this has been tremendous. You're an incredible, insightful leader in the space, and I appreciate you spending some time with us today. Thank you so much. Good to be here. Absolutely. To everybody else out there, I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. I have so many good notes and ideas from this conversation, and I want to use some encouragement to look at ways to go best past some of these, some of the buzzwords, things we kicked around today, and go deeper, as Becky pointed out, to, to really manifest those outcomes and ways you can serve your people well at the same time serve the organization. Thank you all for joining us on We're Only Human. We'll catch you again next time. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm honored to have you as a listener. If you enjoyed this episode, please take 10 seconds to rate it at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you know a friend that could benefit from today's conversation, please pass it their way. After all, a rising tide lifts all ships. To see show notes, sponsor information, and our full show archives, visit onlyhumanshow.com.